Hey, true believers, do you love politics? Do you love comic books? Well, superhero politics is for you. Combines the comical nature of politics and the political nature of comic books. Join us, like, share, and experience the world of comics and politics in a way that you never have before. Superhero politics. And I'm your host, Michael Holmes. Welcome everybody to this episode of Superhero Politics. I am your host Michael Holmes and it is election season 2020. And what you were just listening to on the intro was the theme from Wonder Woman by the incomparable Tina Go. And I think this is just the most appropriate intro that we can have for this episode that is dedicated to the wonderful women of politics. Now, we'll talk a little bit about Wonder Woman, but we're also going to talk about the impact that women have had in this election season. Uh, for those of you who are have been, I don't know, under a rock or on another planet or another dimension, the, the election was just called uh, yesterday, and we have a new president-elect, Joe Biden and his uh, vice president-elect is none other than Kamala Harris. So for the first time in American history, we have a woman um, who is the second in command uh, in the United States of American government. Now, this is big. Um, you know, America has been far behind the rest of the developed world when it comes to um how women have been allowed to assume power. And I even, uh, I don't even want to say allowed to assume power, but how women uh, have progressed up in the uh, ranks of power in, in American government. So uh, for Kamala Harris to not only be a woman of color, uh, but a woman in general, and now uh, as vice president of the United States, this is a uh, kind of a, a big moment for America. We finally join the rest of the developed world uh, when it comes to seeing how powerful women can be. And so the crux of this episode is going to be to discuss um, women in comic books and how powerful women in comic books have been portrayed, but also um, how they've been limited uh, in comic books and also look at uh, women in American politics and how uh, they've been limited as well. So 
you know, just to kind of jump this off, I want to say congratulations to Vice President-elect Harris. Um, you know, she has been, you know, an attorney general. She's been a senator, and now she is vice president-elect. And she's just a super strong candidate. So I uh, just want to say thanks. Uh, congratulations to her and to President-elect Biden. Um, so we're going to jump right into it. Um, Wonder Woman 84 is coming out. And as... Uh, you guys listened on the intro. I was playing a theme from Wonder Woman, and I just say a disclaimer: I don't own the rights to any of that music, but I'm a huge fan of that arrangement by Tina Guo. Um, but uh, we just want to talk. I just kind of want to talk about the character of Wonder Woman before I get into the parallels between, uh, you know, women in comic books, Wonder Woman specifically, and then uh, women in politics and the role that they played. Overall, but particularly this election, and we're going to focus on this election. Um, so, you know, Wonder Woman has always been part of the Trinity. So, you know, for those of you who are new to comic books, uh, the Trinity in DC Comics is Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. They are the three most recognizable names in DC Comics. Um, they are the founders of the Justice League. They are often seen as uh, you know the leaders of the of the superhero community in DC, and Wonder Woman is always put up there um, on that kind of triumphant with them. Now she is kind of a mixture of she encompasses like both the skills of both Batman and Superman. She is um, Superman's physical equal when it comes to power and. She is, you know, an immortal goddess warrior of, you know, just incomparable skill in battle. So much so that, you know, Batman, who happens to have a contingency plan for stopping every single uh, metahuman that exists in the DC realm, doesn't have a contingency plan for her. You know, Batman, Batman's contingency plan for stopping Wonder Woman is Superman. You know, he went to Superman and said, look, if she ever decides to go rogue, the only person with the power to stop her is you, Clark. You're the only one. And I'm afraid that you can't do what needs to be done. She's a warrior in her spirit, in her and everything in her fiber. She has your physical power and it's millennia of training. So even Superman, uh, even Batman was afraid Superman wouldn't have the power, the requisite power to stop her. Now, um, she has often done what women have had to do in society. She's often had to make some of the tough choices that Superman and Batman couldn't make. Um, Maxwell Lord, who was a kind of a te telepathic um, supervillain, and he'll be the villain in this upcoming Wonder Woman 84 film. He had control of Superman. Now, obviously, um, Superman without restraint is super dangerous. Um, just the raw power. He doesn't even know how powerful he is. Um, but the only way to free Superman from um, Maxwell Lord's mental control was to kill him now if you know Clark 
if you know Bruce, if you know Batman, if you know Superman, what is their code? They don't kill. They don't kill. So, um, Wonder Woman did what needed to be done. She snapped Maxwell Lord's neck, freed them both, and their response was, oh, Diana, how could you? She was like, dude, y'all were going to murder millions of people. And I did. I made the tough choice. But, you know, that's kind of the role that women in politics in America has had to play. They've had to make the tough choices. They've had to save this country from itself. Now, the irony of all this, and we can also talk about other comic book characters where this has happened to female comic book characters where this has happened to where there have been artificial limits put on their power Wonder Woman you know her bracelets are famous for blocking bullets and all this other stuff but a lot of people may not know that the bla- that her bracelets are actually magical artifacts that keep her full power in check you know she's a demigod daughter of Zeus she has you know just inherent Olympian power and the bracelets actually keep her power in check so say for instance if we just kind of jump over to to Marvel um, Jean Grey who is uh, you know a frequent host of the Phoenix Force not because Phoenix just necessarily likes her but because the Phoenix recognizes that her you know Omega mutant power ultimately could rival its own just from her so many mental blocks and and things you know to put checks on her power growing out of control were, were put in place by Professor X so that's kind of the irony of that existing and then also when we look at how women have been limited in our political space in America it's it's ironic of the parallel and so for, for Kamala Harris now to kind of break through some of those artificial limits that society American society has placed on women in politics is a big deal so in 2016 we thought we were there society we thought I thought we were there as a society you know Hillary Clinton who to date is and was the most completely prepared candidate to ever run for the office of president the most completely prepared top to bottom resume was an immaculate performance in each of the uh, positions that she held was immaculate and america decided to vote for a uh you know immoral game show host over the most qualified woman person to ever run for office why because America still decided that there was just too that was just too much power for a woman to wield in American society. Now, if you look at all that's transpired since uh, 2016, if you look at the complete and utter mismanagement of our government um, by former outgoing President Donald Trump, it'd be hard to imagine that someone with the resume and bona fides of a Hillary Clinton would have allowed any of these things to happen. If you go back and you look at the complete flubbing of 
uh, hurricane response in Puerto Rico, if you look at the complete and utter mismanagement of race relations when it comes to police brutality in our society, if you look at the complete and utter failure, which is catastrophic, which will be taught by history, by historians and, and crisis management professionals uh, for, for decades to come of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, it is really hard to imagine that someone who was a first lady, a senator, um, secretary of state, presidential candidate who, you know, up until that point had gotten the second most votes up until 2020 had gotten the second most votes of any person in the, in the history of America would have done as poor of a job. It's just, it, it just defies belief. Like if you were to, uh, if you were going to make that case, you know, I'm looking at you like, dude, you ridiculous. That's just, that's just ridiculous. And so to now fast forward to 2020 to have Kamala Harris now as vice president elect, it feels like we have kind of crossed the divide. Um, but this was almost like Wonder Woman taking off her bracelets. This was almost like Jean Grey busting through her mental blocks because this election happened. Joe Biden is president elect today because of black women, because of women. Um, so if you look at where Joe Biden was in the, the primary, I mean, he was just completely flat on his back after Iowa. Like there was no, um, he couldn't raise money. He couldn't, um, he couldn't pull together support. He didn't have any endorsements. And it was essentially um, black women in, in Jim Clyburn, majority whip in the house, who said, hey, this is the guy. Like, this is the guy that can beat Donald Trump. And black women answered the call. They resuscitated Joe Biden's campaign and ultimately carried him across the finish line. Now, it was to a point where as, as the momentum for the Biden campaign began to build, um, people were saying, okay, well, you know, you have a real shot at this. Make sure that you pick a candidate, a VP candidate that's going to garner you some, uh, you know, cross-party appeal, some bipartisan appeal, some moderate appeal. And black women said, whoa, wait a minute there, simmer down now. Uh, we got this. We're the ones that picked up your campaign. We're the ones who resuscitated this thing. What you're going to do now is you're going to continue to listen to us. And to Joe Biden's credit, he did. And to, um, you know, the credit of the Biden campaign, he hired Simone Sanders, another black woman, to be his campaign manager. And so what she was able to do was harness the power of the black woman vote and the black woman uh, experience. And she pointed out to Joe Biden that if you want to get over the finish line, you got to dance with the one who brought you. And so what he did was he listened to them. He listened to Simone Sanders. He listened to the resounding voices of the black women, black women who voted for him and organized for him in South Carolina as he swept Super Tuesday. Um, and they said, you owe us, bruh. 
Like you owe us. Like we need to be represented on this ticket. Now there were a bunch of very strong black candidates. Karen Bass out of California. Obviously, Kamala Harris out of California. You had Val Demings out of Texas. You had Susan Rice. Um, you know, so there was a lot of black women. You know, and then some strong, uh, strong white women as well. Um, you know, Governor of uh, Gretchen Whitmer, Governor of, of uh, Michigan, um, Elizabeth Warren, Senator from Massachusetts, and some others, and some others. So, but he looked at the field. And he said, which of these candidates um, can bridge every divide? And he settled for, not settled for, but he uh, settled on Kamala Harris. Now, which, if you go back to the primary, she flexed her muscles on Joe Biden. For, for any of, the, uh, of you who remember, she landed the most... Um, effective shots on him during the, the the primaries, so he decided to 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 bring her on to the ticket, and she's been super effective. They were able to become a fundraising juggernaut with her after her, you know, um, debate with Mike Pence. They raised I don't know, twenty million dollars within within an hour uh, of that debate. So. Um, it was a very effective choice. But this just goes to show the inherent fear, not only in comic books, but also in politics that we have of powerful women. You know, for Batman to say, Superman, you are the only thing standing between Wonder Woman and destroying this world and to plot to have that that contingency against her for them to shackle her power for Professor X to put you know mental blocks on Jean Grey for for all these things it just shows um you know how powerful you know women are now obviously you know you look at some of the the depictions of women in comics and you think was well, you know it's kind of sexist how they're drawn you know the, the dimensions the outfits everything like that you know somebody like Emma Frost you know uh, Felicia Hardy Black Cat and then you come over and you look at Black Canary you know she fights crime in like fishnets in a in a onesie but she's you know very powerful the depictions of women powerful women um, versus how you know they're perceived uh, as heroes is it's kind of you know it's it's a little disjointed but if you look at how women are perceived in politics it's it's still kind of archaic in a way now we're you know obviously we're coming out of it and back to back years we've had a woman on uh since 2008 you know there's there's been women um on major tickets you know the only um, exception was 2012 where you had Obama Biden versus uh, Romney Ryan but in 2008 there was uh, Sarah Palin former governor of Alaska 2012 2016 um, you know yeah 2016 you had um, 
Hillary Clinton as the top of the ticket in 2020. Now you've got Kamala Harris as VP elect. So it's 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 coming along, but you know if you look at how it took you know so long for women to get there. So if you go all the way back to 1972 um, with Shirley Chisholm was the first woman to run for president United, you know, of the United States, African-American woman. It was 40 years. No, I'm sorry. No, it was uh, another um, 20 years, I think, until Geraldine Ferraro in 1984, I think it was, with Mondale, uh, before a woman showed up in national politics at, at that level. And then it was 2008 before Sarah Palin. So if we look at this this stretch, and no woman was able to get over the hump in any of those situations. Uh, Hillary Clinton is just egregious because if you look at you know who she was running against, and you know now we can we can you know kind of use the time stone to turn back and and look at the performance, even recent history. You know, now it looks even more egregious that Hillary Clinton wasn't elected president. So, you know, for the country to 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 progress like that since 2000, 2008, I should say, um, there have been little cracks in the glass ceiling. Um, and there's still one one level of glass to crack, but there's been a shattering of the glass ceiling at at least the VP level. But more importantly, there has been a thunderous announcement by black women in politics that they are the new power brokers in politics. They are the new power brokers. We are at this moment because of black women, black campaign manager. Black female campaign manager Simone Sanders um, in Georgia, Stacey Abrams and Mayor former uh, Mayor uh, gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams, uh, who lost one of the most uh, what I like to call <laughs> contentious and fraudulent elections I've ever seen, where. Governor Kemp, Brian Kemp, uh, was Secretary of State and oversaw the outcome of his own election for governor. And as I listened to Trump scream about fraud, I'm thinking, you know, I stared at him in Stacey Abrams, you know, like I, I, I stared at him Stacey Abramly, you know. And so you look at how this took place in a state that hadn't gone for a Democrat since 1992 is now blue. A red state flipped in this election. Why did that happen? Well, for one, you had Stacey Abrams, who I just mentioned, who instead of moping and, uh, you know, having, uh, you know, sitting around commiserating about not being governor of the state, she decided to get the best revenge. She knew 2020 was coming up. She knew that, you know, Barack Obama had gotten close in Georgia 
in both of his elections. She knew that Hillary Clinton had gotten close in 2016. She knew that she essentially had won her election uh, in 2018. But it was, you know, taken away from her. So she knew that, that, that Democrats were on the cusp of flipping that state. But what was the issue? Voter disenfranchise, disenfranchise, uh, voter disenfranchising, excuse me there, um, voter suppression tactics, and just a general lack of organization among 800,000 African American voters in Georgia. So um, she went about putting forth a plan, a contingency plan. To flip Georgia and make it blue. Now, between herself and Mayor of Atlanta, Keisha Lance Bottoms, who definitely handled uh, the you know outpouring of grief and, and sadness and demonstration uh, after the death of George Floyd, who definitely handled uh, managing the COVID uh, crisis in Atlanta and dealing with an incompetent governor in, in Kemp. These two black women decided that they were going to be the ones to get the best revenge uh, in 2020. So Stacey Agram's program, Keisha Lance Bottoms organizing in Atlanta, organized and registered nearly one million black people to vote that had not voted before in Atlanta. And, and the state of Georgia. I'm going to say that again. Nearly one million voters that had not participated or hasn't regularly participated in voting in Georgia or who were stricken from the voter rolls, they got those back. So when you look at the effect that black women had at the local level and how that translated to the national level this was a surge of power like the phoenix force man it was like the phoenix awakening and taking on a host this was like wonder woman taking off the bracelets and letting all that power fly out so women, particularly black women now are forced to be reckoned with in American politics now we don't know what the next few months are going to hold in terms of uh, you know, the transition how it's going to work what the rest of the cabinet is going to look like but Joe Biden recognizing the shift to power um, in the Democratic Party and in the, in the country has vowed that if he gets a Supreme Court seat, that it will be a black woman. And I guarantee you that as he, if he looks around at the talent within the Democratic Party of black women, he has an incredible, uh, you know, an incredible uh, roster of very talented black women to fill up his cabinet. So, you know, I'm looking at Biden and thinking, okay, (laughs) 
you know, you're set up, you're set up to run, buddy. Like you're set up to, you're set up to run. Um, so, you know, Harris is now stepping in to the VP role. So, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, we don't know what, how Biden's is going to position her. Now we knew what Barack Obama was like from a, from a strategy standpoint, we knew what role that Joe Biden played for Barack Obama. He was the elder statesman. He was the longtime uh, member of the Senate. He was the one who could go down to Capitol Hill and, and speak to, you know, the, that, that old guard and kind of pull things together Kamala Harris hasn't been there that long. Like she's a she's a bright shining star. She's a you know a new star there. So um, she hasn't had time to kind of form those relationships. She's still learning about her superpowers in a way. So Biden will act as a mentor to kind of kind of act, you know help her develop you know what her powers are going to be. Now she has an incredible ability to rally people. So. You know, she may ultimately be um, what Barack Obama was to Joe Biden. Joe Biden may keep the same role as president as he kept as vice president. He may be the one who goes down to Capitol Hill and sits down with Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell. He may be the one who goes over to Capitol Hill and talks uh, to to moderate Democrats and gets them to come across the line, or goes over uh, and talks to the progressive wing and says, "Hey, this is this is the path that we got to take." While Kamala Harris is the one who goes out and is the inspirational leader of this team. So it remains to be seen how they're going to do it. But this is a a, a perfectly balanced team uh, to be able to go out, and I think. The selection of Harris as VP was inspired and it paid off. So I just want to say that I salute and I am in constant awe of the power of women, uh, not only represented in our comic comic spheres, uh, but also in our political sphere. And um, I look forward to seeing what who's going to be the next hero to rise, you know, from, from, you know, the next origin story of the next hero and to see how far, you know, women are going to take it, uh, in, in, in today's politics. Um, you know, I have two daughters myself, you know, I am, um, I'm also an elected official. I'm, you know, in my first term, first year of my first term, um, in office, High Point in City Council in uh, my city of High Point, North Carolina. And I have two daughters who witnessed me getting sworn in. And last night as I was sitting on the couch with my oldest, she's 16, and she sat there and she had this, you know, just this beautiful look on her face and her eyes were wide and she saw, you know, this black woman who was on stage giving a speech accepting being elected as vice president of the United States and she turned to me and she said daddy that's me that could be me and I just kind of got a a little emotional and a little misty 
And I'm sitting there thinking, well, you know, sweetie, you saw your dad get elected. You know, you were there when I got sworn in. And what I realized is, even though I'm her father, I'm a man. She's a young woman. And it is vitally important to young women, especially young black women, young women of color, to see people who look like them in positions of power. It is vitally important for my daughters, my nieces, my goddaughters to see women step into positions of power. And it can only make them feel that way because, you know, I'm her dad. I I raised her. I've been there since she was born. I remember it like it was yesterday. But I can never be a woman. And I can never understand the, the struggle of women in this country. Especially black women. So to see her look at this woman on, on the stage giving the speech and feel so inspired, um, it inspires me. And it's humbling because as a man trying to set a good example for his daughter, it helps me to know that I can point to representations in our society of success for black women so when she said to me daddy that's me that could be me it meant everything to me as a father so just like in 2008 when Barack Obama became president of the United States inspired me to run for office Kamala Harris in 2020 is doing the same thing for generations upon generations of young black and brown and Asian women. Representation matters, folks. And the one thing that we don't need to do as men in our society is continue to put artificial limits on the power of women. We don't need to put mental blocks We don't need to lock them down. We don't need to fear their power. Um, We need to embrace it. We need to harness it. We need to cultivate it. We need to encourage it. We need to make sure that we grow it. So, you know, I am as enthusiastic today uh, about the ascension of Kamala Harris as my daughter is. So I just want to say congratulations. Uh, I look forward to the change that this ticket is going to bring to America, much needed change. But I look forward to the lasting, uh, the lasting impression, the lasting standard, the lasting example that the election of the first woman and the first woman of color Um, we'll have on our society to come hopefully it it unleashes more power from 
you know, 52, 53% of our population. Hopefully they realize how powerful they are and how much of a driver um, they are for our society, how much their energy fuels us. And I hope that uh, as men uh, in our society that we can not only accept but embrace um, how important uh, women are to the future of this country. And I hope that we can empower them as well. I hope that we can, you know, understand, you know, how we can um, support their rise and their growth and know that, you know, it's for the betterment of all. So I just want to take my hat off uh, to the wonderful women of politics. Um, I want to take uh, I'm so excited about Wonder Woman 84. I'm a huge fan um, of the character, you know, in all his incarnations. Um, you know, I've seen, you know, uh, Nubia floating around the Internet. And, you know, there's, you know, hopefully in, in subsequent films of the Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman franchise, they can explore uh, that incarnation of Wonder Woman. So, you know, I'd love to see that, um, you know, obviously um, Storm, um, you know, is is, you know, a massive uh, character in, in, in black uh, comics, you know, you know, as as we you know mourn the passing of of Chadwick Boseman, you know, we talk about you know Shuri, uh, Letitia Wright taking on the mantle of Black Panther. Um, so it's not just in uh, comics and politics, um, but even in our popular culture, um, writing, movies. Ava DuVernay um, is going to be directing. You know the new gods for Marvel. So uh, even in in all facets, uh, black women and women of color are are taking our society to new heights. So um, you know, bravo, bravo. So uh, you know, as we close, um, I just want to say, um, you know. I hope you guys continue to enjoy this. I know this is a, um, you know, kind of interesting fusion, but I hope you guys continue to, to enjoy this. Um, you know, coming up in the next few episodes, we're going to start um, doing our analysis of, you know, Amazon Prime's series, The Boys. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, going to do an episode recap and kind of do parallel of that, uh, do a series on that. Um, you know, we're going to do a couple of, um, you know, exposés of, you know, specific uh, arcs, you know, you know, in, in DC and Marvel. Um, and then we're just going to have fun with this, man. So uh, this is a, a labor of love, you know, for someone who, you know, loves politics and someone who uh, loves comic books and uh, someone who, uh, you know, just loves to talk about, uh, uh, talk about both. So, um you know, signing off and uh, just remember, uh, speak truth to power and continue to believe. Take care. What's going on, true believers? Thank you for your continued and growing support. Uh, if you're enjoying the content that we're producing here on Superhero Politics, I ask that you subscribe anywhere that you can find podcasts. That means iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, you can find us at Buzzsprout uh, and also on our social media at Superhero Politics on Twitter, at Superhero Politics on Facebook, Superhero Politics on Instagram, and Superhero Politics on TikTok. Um, like, share, join us. And if you would have any uh, topics that you would like to share or just questions that you would like to ask me, uh, you can send your emails to superheropolitics at gmail.com and uh, we'll do an episode where we answer your questions. Thank you for your continued support and remember always speak truth to power. <laughs>